Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, as you know, we're getting settled in our new space, which means I need another dog. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, no, it's still very soon, and we weren't really intending on uh, investigating dog stuff, uh, but then I saw a picture of Goldie, Mm -hmm. and I became obsessed with Goldie. Yes, Goldie looked really cute. And she had an underbite. <laughs> yeah. You know how I love the underbite. You're a sucker for the underbite. I can't get over it. If a dog looks a little messed up, I want it. Right. So yeah. we took a little trip across uh, Orlando to visit Goldie. Goldie was a sweetie, mm-hmm. but uh, there really was no chemistry between Goldie and Haggis. And Haggis is our number one priority. Right. And Goldie was way into you, shoving her face into your hands and right, stuff. Right. But uh, she didn't want anything to do with Haggis. And that's really why we we, we thought that having a, a buddy for Haggis would be a, a nice thing. And uh, she was not interested. <laughs> no. So so Goldie's not part of our family. Um, but she is at Pooch and Poodle Rescue if you want to get her and then let me play with her. <laughs> Go adopt this dog so Cat can play with her. <laughs> I just really liked her, and she had special needs, and I, I, I feel so sad. On the way back, we were talking about how probably Goldie wasn't the right match, and Cat uh, became very distraught because she feels as though, and I, and God love her, she wants to <laughs> adopt every animal, and when she can't, she blames it on herself. <laughs> So I mentally prepare for this every time we go and look at an animal. Yeah. Uh, Which, by the way, we have an application in for Buddy. Uh, So we're going to go meet Buddy. Okay. Okay. Great. Good. Well, she was a queen, but she was also king at the same time. Well, technically she was king. Her name was Christina of Sweden. And she don't need no man? No. Well, no. She's considered to be probably the most unusual monarch, certainly one of Europe's most unusual monarchs. 
Uh, she's, she was well-known as a patron of the arts. She was highly intellectual, and she was well-known for her, well, outrageous behavior. At least it was considered outrageous by the standards of the time, which was the 17th century. She popped them titties out? Popped out them royal tatties. <laughs> um, them tiggle bitties. Anyway, Princess Christina of Sweden was born during a planetary conjunction in uh, 1626, and telescopes had just recently been invented, and the court astrologers had a bunch of them, and they saw, uh, I think it was Saturn and Jupiter, and they lined up and stuff, and they predicted that the baby who was about to be born would grow up to be the greatest princess of Sweden ever based on this astrological event. Well, right. And she caused quite a stir from the moment she was born. Not only was Christina completely covered with hair from head to toe, but also cried with a deep, loud voice. At first, those present at the birth thought that uh, she was a boy. They mistook her for a boy. Because of all the hair? And because of the deep, loud cry. Her mother was delighted, thinking that uh, this was a boy, but became extremely disappointed when found when she found out that the baby was, in fact, a girl. Yeah, well, she was the queen, and she was tasked with uh, providing an heir. I get it. You know, for the king. That was her one job. In later years, Christina, she actually wrote an autobiography, which I would love to find and read. And uh, she said that... The confusion about her sex at birth, quote, filled the palace with a false joy. Oh, that's awful. Her father, who was King Gustav II, however, was thrilled. He claimed that she would be a very clever person because she had already made fools of everyone. I like that. Also, I, I'm sorry, but women can have deep voices. It's of course she, of course they can. In fact, I think most women's voices are falsely high, and if you sit down into your natural voice, you find that it's actually deeper than than you project it to be. It's funny you mention that because I saw a. Um uh, I think it was a program on uh, or how to become a political leader mm -hmm. and how if you're a woman, especially, you need to learn to lower your voice. And they showed some early film of Margaret Thatcher when she first started uh, getting involved in politics mm -hmm. in, in Britain. And she talked way up here was, you know, very high voice. Right. But later, by the time she became prime minister, she was talking like this. It's very <sighs> interesting. Aha. Uh -huh. Aha. Uh -huh. Anyway, back to our story. Gustav was preparing to leave for Germany to fight in the Thirty Years' War. But before he left, he made Christina his heir, although the official title uh, that she would inherit would be king, not queen, because Swedish law at the time only recognized kings. Now, oh, okay. the king's wife was a queen but she was not recognized as heir to anything. She was just basically the king's wife. So because right. of this, King Gustav decided that Christina should receive the education of a prince. And Christina was thrilled. Nice. She threw herself into her studies. She studied classical Greek, Latin, theology, politics, philosophy, and much more. Her day started before dawn. And she would learn how to fence. She learned to hunt. She learned horseback riding, lots of uh, games that normally were reserved for boys and boys of upper status. 
What was she fencing? High-end cars? Therefore, by the time she was grown, she had become one of the most well-educated women in all of Europe. When Christina was just five years old, her father, again, King Gustav II, was killed on the battlefield in uh, 1632, and she became king at five years old. Now, at the time, her mother was viewed as uh, mentally unstable. So the king had said, in the case of his death, Christina should go and live with his sister, uh, Catherine of Sweden, her paternal aunt. And it was true that the queen was dealing with some serious shit. Her uh, condition became so dire, in fact, that when Gustav's body was returned from the battlefield, she refused to bury it for like a year and a half. Oh, no. And she kept it in her bedroom and she would just visit it daily. She'd go in and just stroke the rotting corpse. Sweden's Chancellor Axel Oxenstierna Yes. Finally ordered the body be buried at uh, Ritterholm Church. I mean, didn't Christina have a problem with dad being all... Well, she was away. She was uh, living with, with her aunt okay, at the so, time. So she didn't know? No, or... I don't think she... Oh, wow. Know, she was five and, you know, living in another town. Oh, she was still five. Sorry. After that, the chancellor sent the widow into exile. Christina lived with her aunt until she was 18 years of age. Okay. Now, the Swedish chancellor, Oxenstierna... That's so good. He ruled for Christina until she became 18. When she turned 14, though, she got a little antsy about it, so she started attending the council meetings at 14. That's incredible. At a very early age, she started to exert her own political will, even though she wasn't in charge. She was only 14, and uh, she was often at odds with the chancellor. For example, Oxentorina sent his son to a peace conference to seek a hard line on negotiations. He wanted, you know, he was going to play it tough Mm -hmm. on them. Christina sent her own delegate to oppose him, seeking peace at any cost, and she prevailed. Her reputation as a strong, brilliant person began growing uh, from that point. But she didn't do so well financially. She, I mentioned she was a patron of the arts. Yeah. Well, she just really loved art, and so she used a lot of uh, her her wealth, buying personal things for her art collection, and then started using so much money, in fact, that it had a negative impact on the country's economy. Oh, my gosh. Um, She would give away land that belonged to the crown just to people. Hey, here you go. Have this. Uh, She would give lavish gifts to people that uh, she cared about and extremely lavish to the point where she had almost depleted the treasury. But she did have some great achievements, like she ended up preventing a civil war after the Thirty Years' War. She also established the very first newspaper in Sweden by 1645. Wow. But probably the most controversial part of Christina's life was her appearance and the way she carried herself. She always looked, well, unkempt. Uh, She had a messy mop of curly hair that she never brushed out, full of straw and dirt. She was uh, known to be very offensive. She offended people with her very direct way of speaking. She uh, was good at swearing. She was good at swearing. (laughs) She had razor sharp wit. I want to be able to like list that as one of the things that I'm good (laughs) at. She's good at swearing. Let her adopt your dog. (laughs) Along with her razor-sharp wit, she was extremely intelligent, of course, but 
She was more well known for her love of a dirty joke. (laughs) And it was said that the queen walked like a man, sat like a man, and could eat and swear like the roughest soldier. She was also very outspoken about her relationship with her lady-in-waiting, oh, Countess Ebba Spari. She spent most of her time with the Countess. Uh, she referred to her as her companion and bedfellow. That's really inappropriate. In fact, in one instance, she was introducing the Countess to an English ambassador, and the ambassador commented on... Um, on the Countess's beauty, and Christina informed him that uh, Spari's insides were as beautiful as her outsides. Oh, wow. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like because she's her boss, that's that's not cool. You probably don't have much of a, an opportunity to say, no, King Christina, I'm not interested in having a relationship with you. It's That's not cool, um, especially in that time. Right. And so I feel like that's slightly inappropriate. The Countess was way into it, though. See, that's the thing is the Countess might have been put in a better position. And, at the, you know, I can't I can't judge 1700s people, 1600s people. 17th century. Yeah, that's always confusing to me. But really, the most scandalous thing is that, at least for the time, she refused to marry. In her autobiography, she wrote, quote, I have an insurmountable distaste for marriage, for all things that females talked about and did. She informed the council, quote, I do not intend to give you the reasons. I am simply not suited for marriage. She knew that uh, she needed to provide an heir, Right. And this was why it was so controversial. And for a while, she considered it. When she was about 16, she considered uh, get, having a baby with her cousin, Charles Gustav. He was very much in love with her. Well, if she's the king, then couldn't she provide an heir without a queen? I mean, without a queen. Well, I know what you're getting at, and that's... Essentially what she did. Oh, okay. After Charles Gustav um, came, he went to war for several years. And by the time he came back, Christina had changed her mind about having a child. So, Like rather than have a baby with her, he went to war? No, he, he said, <laughs> I'll be back and we'll do it then. But by the time he got back, she had changed her mind. So okay. she decided in 1649 to name Charles as her heir. He can have a baby. She then decided to just give it all up. She didn't want to be queen slash king anymore. And so she told the council that Sweden didn't need her. Sweden needed a man to rule and especially to lead the army. She also complained about bad eyesight and uh, a stiff neck. See, if you put a pillow under your chest, uh, it'll support your neck more (laughs) while you're uh, so you won't get it such a follow cat for more royalty tips. (laughs) So. She didn't want to be king slash queen slash king anymore, but the council objected. They said, no, you can't just give it away. You have to be the uh, head of the country. But soon the real reason was discovered why she wanted to give it up. The queen had decided to convert to Catholicism and Sweden was very Lutheran at the time and very anti-Catholic. In fact, the Holy Roman Empire had been uh, their chief antagonist during the Thirty Years' War. But finally, the council did give in and allowed Christina to resign. And she resigned after 10 years of rule in June of 1654. And Charles Gustav became her successor. He was 28 years old. She would have been 28 at the time, too, right? Because I pay attention and I know how old she is at this time. Please don't leave me. Christina 
made her way to Rome. She converted to Roman Catholicism just before she arrived, and she became the darling of the Vatican. Aww. Well, yeah, I mean, here she was a high-profile person who was very well-known throughout Europe, converting to Catholicism. She quickly aligned with a more free-thinking branch of Roman Catholicism. Uh, she got involved in politics and religious intrigue, first between the French and the Spanish factions in Rome. She attempted to actually become Queen of Naples. They needed somebody, and, uh, you know, she said, hey, I'll do it. Okay. But a member of her household betrayed her plans. He tried to get himself named as uh, King of Naples. Rude. What kind of experience do you have being king-queen? He was actually very good at swearing. <clears throat> so Christina was a little pissed by this, so sure. she, she called him uh, into her uh, house and then had him executed in her presence. Yeah. Uh, so because of this, for quite some time, she was kind of cut off from Roman society, but slowly she worked her way back in, getting involved in the church and in politics again. So the church was like, we are 100% in uh, for having this big celeb be a outwardly part of our organization until you execute someone and then we're going to keep it hush hush for a little while, but not too long. That's essentially what happened. The whole Naples thing didn't work out, so... She decided she wanted to become queen of Poland, but the Pope wasn't really on her side at this point, mostly because of her offing one of her staff members. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, she had the right. That would be treasonous. Her advisor was Cardinal Decio Azzolino, and it was rumored that he was also her lover. Christina concocted a scheme to try to get him the papacy. She was trying to get the Pope out and get her associate slash lover named Pope. Now, do you think that the rumors existed because they didn't want someone that she was trying to get into the Pope-dom, Popeified? That could be, that, I didn't think about that. Because. Yeah, right. Yeah. People trying to ruin him before he was able to. Anyway, right. but before any of this could happen, Christina died on April 19th, 1689. At this point, she was aged 62. 62. Very good. Scholars believe that she died from a combination of diabetes, streptococcus bacterial infection, and pneumonia. Oof. And the cardinal was by her side when she passed. And she had named Cardinal Azzolino as her sole heir. Now, she requested that a simple burial be given her, but the Pope decided he was going to have her embalmed and put on display. Instead... He was using her for political gain. Right. Uh, she was wearing a silver mask. She was covered head to toe with jewels and, and hair. And, well, and fur, uh, covering up most of her hair, I guess. They stood her up in the Palazzo Riario for four days. Then she was buried in the Vatican's Grotto, which is an extremely high honor for a woman of the day. In fact, there have only been three other women that have ever held this honor. Oh, wow. Since her death, Christine's story has been portrayed on screen and on stage in dozens of productions, Greta Garbo actually portrayed her. She starred in a film called Christina back in 1933. In 2015, The Girl King was released, the movie The Girl King. But uh, that really, the, the most of that movie really just focused on her alleged relationships with women. Ah. And, and less of her work as a regent or activist of religious tolerance. But regardless, it does say something about Christina 
and uh, her bold individuality that people are still talking about her and debating her life today. I mean, sadly, uh, it, it appears that often it's not the things they should be debating or talking about. <laughs> no, but it's true. People still today are interested in the life of this troublemaking, cross-dressing, opinionated, hairy renaissance queen slash king, Christina of Sweden. My source information, Mental Floss, Wikipedia, and Thought Co. Very um, cool. What an interesting individual. Absolutely. She just did whatever the fuck she wanted. As you should when you become king queen at five. And now, that thing in the middle. It was the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg. Fighting had erupted near the property of Farmer John Burns. Suddenly, a Union soldier saw the 69-year-old farmer approaching the battle line with a rifle on his shoulder. The Union soldier asked John Burns why he was joining the battle. Burns replied that the rebels had milked his cows and he was gonna get even. I've been going through some of your things while you were listening in the other room and I just have to ask, can I wear this? This is The Box of Oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Nathaniel sent us an email. In your latest episode, you covered a hole near Ellensburg, Washington. I live near Tacoma, and my family and I visit Ellensburg a couple of times a year. 
There's a restaurant with legendary rosemary fries. Oh. Mm. Um, my father grew up extremely near the hole, and every time we visit Ellensburg, weird stuff starts to happen. The last time we drove there, his car got hit head on. All of our sunglasses disappeared, <laughs> and all of the photos and videos I took in Ellensburg disappeared. And then soon after that, my camera disappeared. I have a weird feeling whenever I go into this cute little town, and I was thinking about it lying in bed last night. And that's when Jethro started talking about this creepy hole in Ellensburg. I cannot lie. I freaked out. This is my first box of oddities <laughs> effect, which is weird as I have listened to all of your episodes at least four times. Oh, wow. Uh, he says, I have ADHD and, and listening to your stories helps me fall asleep as well as helping keep me focused. Thank you for all that you do. And I hope to one day see one of your live shows. Sincerely, Nathaniel. Oh, well, if you can't make it to our live show in Manhattan, look at the transition that I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Then you can watch it stream live. Uh, go to theboxofoddities.com for all the details. That was beautifully Thank done. Thank you. Thank you. And now with an opposing viewpoint, someone who refused to give their name said, Mel's Hole, it's really a well-known hoax now, but thank you for the podcast. It gave me a good laugh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're always here to help, nameless person. What you got for me? Well, one, I have a squeaky chair, and yeah. so you might hear that occasionally, and I do apologize. Our search for good chairs is endless. <laughs> uh, thank you for traveling on this good chair search journey slash uh, whatever. It was the first thing that we said. It was like the first thing that we ever talked about is how we had a hard time finding good chairs. Yeah, I think it, uh, we started the whole podcast series three and a half years ago by saying, well, first we need to deal with this. <laughs> Our chairs are squeaky. And here we are. With squeaky chairs. Different squeaky chairs. Different but, squeaky but chairs. squeaky chairs nonetheless. <sighs> you can take the kids out of Maine, but you can't take the squeaky chairs out of our house, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, coming from Maine, we're not exactly excellent uh, judges of quality home furnishings. The Red Lion Inn is a historic landmark in Stockbridge. Massachusetts, uh, where you will find lots of quality furniture. Nice. Uh, it's been in existence since 1773. Silas Pepun established a small tavern on this corner in 1773, and it's where stagecoaches traveling between Albany and Boston would stop. Now, during the American Revolutionary War, veteran Daniel Shays led 4,000 rebels called Shaysites in a protest against economic and civil rights injustices. And in 1786, he led a group of more than 100 local farmers and citizens to protest post-war taxation. And Stockbridge was the headquarters for what became called Shays Rebellion. Hmm. And many a gathering were being held at Pepin's stagecoach in place. Now, this was after the revolution? Yes. So these were people that wanted to go back to, they, were they loyalists or just pissed off that they were being taxed again? They were just mad about the taxation. Okay. I don't, I don't think that they were loyalists. Hmm. That's not the vibe that I get. Gotcha. In 1873, following uh, owners having changed the inn was then owned by Mr. and Mrs. Charles H. Plum, and it was renamed Plum's Hotel. In 1884, it was then known as the Stockbridge House and had been enlarged to accommodate 100 guests. 
Uh, it was only open during the summer because it's in Massachusetts. And can you imagine trying to heat uh, a 100-guest hotel October through April? No. August 31st, 1896, a fire nearly destroyed the property. But the Berkshire Courier reported that Mrs. Plum's noted collection of China pictures, apparel, and furniture, the largest collection of its kind in the county, and to the delight of everyone who went to Stockbridge, was saved. Oh, good. Now, over the years... The establishment has been through 20 proprietors and three name changes. The Red Lion's quintessential New England charm was immortalized by Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell? <clears throat> Norman Rockwell in his painting Stockbridge Main Street at Christmas. Oh. Um, yeah. I love that. It's so pretty. Anyway, the inn has accommodated presidents. Cleveland, McKinley, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, and other guests like Nathaniel Hawthorne, Longfellow, John Wayne, Bob Dylan. You know, um, no it's it's a nice historic place that a lot of people want to visit, and rightfully so, because it's really friggin' cool. But its most famous guests might be those that you can't see. Okay. I'm listening. It's spoopy season! Spoopy, 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 spoopy. Sorry. When can we carve pumpkins, by the way? Right after this, okay. if you want. I love pumpkin carving. Now, the most supernatural activity, according to many sources, occurs on the fourth floor. Both guests and staff have seen a ghostly young girl carrying flowers Ooh. and a man in a top hat. Uh, people report cold spots, unexplained sounds, and electrical disturbances uh, in the building. But again, most often on that fourth floor, and especially in room 301. Okay, what happened there? Something awful, I hope. Now, we don't know about the specific instances that led to this ghostly activity, allegedly. But uh, in this kind of history, in this historic building, obviously there's been a lot going on there, and especially where it was involved in so much of the early America. And, you know, uh, over the years, obviously, weird things happen. And a lot of history took place. A lot of history took place there. Now, I got most of my information from redlionin.com, though nothing on that website mentions any hauntings. Really? Uh, Hospitalitynet.org and Forbes. But most of what we're going to talk about comes from TripAdvisor. Does the hotel not play that up? Nope. No mention of it. Really? Zero mention of it. Unless they hired a bunch of people to do this on TripAdvisor, which is brilliant marketing. In fact, in one of the reviews, well, we'll get to it. Okay. Marisol804 says, yes, there are better and cheaper hotels in the area and, and gave it two stars. Uh, the hotel is pretty and well-maintained, but it's also haunted. And I didn't sleep well at all. Um, the, she also went into some details about, you know, changes because of COVID, uh, but that wasn't related to ghosts in any way. So we're going to skip that part. Okay. 
Another reviewer said they were staying on the second floor, and upon arriving, they were immediately creeped out. I wouldn't let my boyfriend walk ahead of me or behind me. I felt incredibly uneasy, and I insisted he stay exactly by my side. I don't typically scare easily, but something about this space just gave me chills. Upon returning to our cozy room, I was exhausted, and I had already forgotten about the eeriness of the fourth floor. But in the middle of the night, I, quote, woke up in a dream. I was in the hotel bed, but there was a woman with long brown hair and a colonial-style nightgown pushing down on my chest. Oh, my God. Now, I've never had a history of sleep paralysis. This was my first. Hmm. A little while later, I felt what I am assuming was the same woman grabbing at my feet. At this point, I was very much awake. I had the lights (laughs) on and I had to keep them on for the remainder of the night. This all happened at about 2 a.m. Oh, my God. And this is a person who has nothing to gain. That's right. By telling this story. In conclusion, this was a harmless, but certainly a very spooky stay. I haven't come across any other mentions of this particular ghost, but I wanted to share my experience. Sly Fox Travels writes, beautiful, but haunted. I just wrapped up my stay at the O'Brien house. So there are several different buildings that make up the the Red Lion Inn. Um, This reviewer stayed in room number two. As soon as I got into the room, I felt a very spooky, ominous vibe as if someone were watching me. I had trouble falling asleep and I woke up several times each night, which I normally don't do. One night... I woke up because I felt something cold touching my leg. And another night I woke up and I saw something white and sort of transparent moving across the room. I always felt like someone was watching me from the foot of the bed. And I realize this sounds totally nuts. Anyone who's stayed at this inn can attest to its creepy ambiance. One of my colleagues stayed in the O'Brien house in room number one and experienced lights turning on and off repeatedly on several occasions. I'm freaking out thinking about this place, and it's broad daylight. If these stories are true, then that would, at least in these particular cases, rule out residual hauntings because they're interactive. If -hmm. somebody's grabbing your legs or pushing your chest, that's not residual. That's right. This sounds like poltergeist activity. Pretty close. Doesn't sound malevolent necessarily, but... Not necessarily. Mm. Karen L., who only has one contribution on TripAdvisor, and it's for the Red Lion Inn, writes, <laughs> If you want to sleep on a lumpy mattress and get woken up every four minutes by some annoying guy in a hat tickling and touching you, room 301 is your place. <laughs> some annoying guy in a hat. The occupant there is very pushy and likes to travel home with you, too. You can have him back, really. So he followed her? That's that's what, what she says. Wow. One thing that comes up over and over again is the feet being touched in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. As well as the, the guy in the hat. Spectral foot fetishes. Hat guy has a thing for toes. <laughs> this reviewer says, I'm glad to read other reviews and hear that I am not crazy. My wife and I were staying at the Red Lion for a wedding with about 60 other guests. I kept getting woken up all night and the covers being pulled off of me. I was laying awake on my stomach and I had an eerie feeling that something was looking at me. So I turned around and saw a man dressed in a top hat Mm. and olden day attire. 
He then disappeared and turned into a white mist. I was pretty scared and I couldn't go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I would be up for the rest of the night. Forget it. I'm, I'm up. When I told the cleaning staff about the incident, they said they had heard that the fourth floor was supposed to be haunted. But the bartender and the front desk both said they've never heard of a ghost at their <laughs> hotel. Hmm. Interesting. It seemed like they weren't supposed to be talking about it. They had some very quick stock sounding answers for me. I would love to hear if anyone's had a similar experience. And finally, a review from August of 2005 said, I only wish I had read TripAdvisor before checking into the Red Lion Inn. I was staying there on a business trip. By chance, out of 21 people in our group, I was given room 301. Okay. Here we go again. In the middle of the night, on three occasions, I woke up feeling my toes being tugged wow. on. Wow. And someone scratching my hand. I also felt as if someone or something was under the covers with me at one point. Ooh. Then at 9 a.m., I woke up and I heard the maid knocking on the door. She opened the room with the key, walked in, and headed for the bathroom. I heard the footsteps come out of the bathroom and step by the bed. Then suddenly, it felt as though someone was fluffing up the comforter, as if it was trying to make the bed on the left-hand side. As hard as I tried, I could not move and I could not speak. When I looked up, I was in the room alone. No one had been there. Oh, wow. Let's just say this was one of the most unusual and scary experiences of my life. When I got home, I did some more research on the Red Lion Inn, and I discovered that in August of 1896, the property was destroyed by a fire. My visit was in August as well. And another patron who wrote a similar review was visiting in August, and they were also in room 301. If you ask me, this is more than just coincidence. I would agree with you, sir. So there you go. If you uh, listen to TripAdvisor reviewers, which I often do, mostly when looking for restaurants, uh, the Red Lion Inn, absolutely haunted, and maybe something that you might want to check out. Room 301. And, and we recommend August. Massachusetts is lovely that time of year. <laughs> I wanted to take a minute and thank all of our patrons who voted on this month's Philanthropy Freaks poll. This month, 10% of our Patreon proceeds will go to To Write Love on Her Arms, which a few of our patrons actually have a personal experience with. So that's wonderful to see. And what is that? To Write Love on Her Arms is a nonprofit movement dedicated to hope and finding help for people struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. I just love our patrons. They're so involved in what's happening here. And big thanks to our new patrons. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jamie, Kelsey, Kathleen, and John. If you'd like to join us, become a patron, get uh, the, the podcast ad-free, get it a day early. Uh, there's bonus episodes, all kinds of stuff, depending upon what level you join. But it's all the order of freaks. Go to theboxofoddities.com. All the information is there. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories... Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com 
on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2021 all rights reserved. Probably the most controversial part of uh, Katrina. (laughs) That's me. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.